Good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be gathered together. Uh, my name is John. I'm excited and thankful to be sharing God's Word with you this morning. Why don't we all pray together? Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for this time of gathering. We thank you for this time of communion um, and fellowship. May you be honored through our conversation and through your Word being preached. Uh, may we come to comprehend and understand what you mean by loving one another. And may you receive all the glory in our thoughts and our conduct and our action today. And in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. All right, so um, we are continuing our Summer of Love series. And today uh, we are going to be talking about praying for one another. Uh, But before we get into that, uh, two weeks ago I was talking about how God has called us to love our neighbor. And I asked two questions or maybe three questions. And so I'm going to re-ask them today to sort of get us started in this conversation of praying for one another. So my first question that I asked, and these are not trick questions. My first question was, should we as the body of believers, should we love God? Yes, right? Yes, yes. That is the answer. You passed. Our second question was, should we as the body of believers love our neighbor? Yes, two for two. Very nice, very nice. And then my third question was that I didn't really ask, but is uh, if I were to ask what does loving God and loving our neighbor look like, that's when sort of all of our answers will sort of start looking a lot different, right? We all start running in different directions because we all sort of see God's love or how the scripture defines love or how our culture screams what love is sort of differently. And we all go different ways. Oh, it's my job to tell them of their sin. Oh, no, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them of their sin, right? We all have different interpretations or ideas. But nonetheless, Today is part two of talking about how do we love our neighbor. Last week we talked about listening to others is an expression of our love to those around us. And we could easily spend a year talking about the many different ways that we can love God and love our neighbor. And I think that we sort of do that every Sunday that we gather together, right? Whenever God's word is preached and we're called to follow him in certain ways through whatever it says in the scriptures, we're always sort of being called to love God deeper or love God more uh, continuously or more intentionally. And so... Before we talk about how we can love, let's first define what love is or what love is not. And so here is the first love is not. Love is not the magic kingdom love that screams everything must be perfect. And when you find that true love of yours, they're going to have these butterflies for the rest of your life. And they're going to walk in slow motion when you see them. And they're going to turn into a Disney character. And they're going to be without blemish and perfect. And love's going to be this dynamic, perfect great thing that's far above anything we could have asked for or imagine. And we know, for those who have been married more than a day, that's not necessary. And I'm not talking about my marriage. I'm not talking about mine. But we all understand that love is not like that. It's complicated. It's difficult. It's hard. Love requires us to self-deny and self-sacrifice in order to meet someone's needs. So we understand that it's not this Disney type of kingdom Love, nor is love, love song love. That says, love is your lust. If I were to take the top whatever five love songs in our culture or top billboard, I don't know if that's a thing anymore, but if I were to take those songs and if I were to read all the lyrics here on the platform, it wouldn't be but one minute before I'm ushered off, right? Because how 
we define love or how the culture defines love in the songs is love is your lust and whatever you feel, just go after it. Don't think about it. Don't worry about it. Um, let's just do it, right? It's like love is your lust and just follow your lust. But we as Christians know that that's not necessarily true. The third thing, love is not love. So what that means is however you define your love is okay, and we're going to take on that, and you just be okay with that, and we're just going to do that, right? Whatever your love is, whether it's aggressive or not, that's your love. And whatever my love is, we're going to be okay with that. And what this definition sort of does, it says everyone can define things exactly how they want it, so therefore you could do it however you want to do it, in any manner. And the whole definitions about all these loves is when we as people or a generation come together and when we're left with our own devices to define things, we often get into the judge's definition of us where it says everyone did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Whenever we're left to our own devices and we get to define things how we want to or that's most beneficial, it always results in people doing what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the fourth thing is love is not how we feel. Uh, or maybe I should have put love is not only how you feel. So love is not mainly our emotions. Have you guys ever heard the term, just follow your heart? Whatever happens, just follow your heart. But the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. So, so it's not just following our heart, right? Above all else, guard your heart. So it is not simply how we feel or our emotions, it is our emotions, but it's also how does God define love? So then the question becomes, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me, right? Maybe that's what we all thought about. But what is love? How do we define what love is? And we've been using this awesome definition by Thomas Aquinas, and it says, the choice to will the good of the other. The choice to will the good of the other. So then the question becomes, are you willing the good of your family members? Are you willing the good of your neighbor? Are you willing the good of your spouse? Are you willing the good of your grandkids? Are you willing the good of that driver who just cut you off? Are you willing the good of that cashier who takes way too long? Are you willing the good of everyone around you? But I think if Thomas Aquinas was here and I would be so bold as to have a conversation with him and I were to ask him, what do you think, Thomas Aquinas, by this idea of willing the good. What do you think that means? And I think he would allow me, if I were to be so bold, to insert this. It says the choice to will the good as outlined by the scriptures of the other. And so when we're left with our own devices, we do whatever is evil in the eyes of the Lord. But when we sort of define love, how God defines love, based on what the scriptures say as our foundation, that then does, there's not much ambiguity in that. And so God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And part of that is the scriptures. The scriptures are a lamp into our feet and a light into our path that guides us during difficult times, that guides us in every day. And also it's equally our guardrail, right? It guides us and it keeps us where we ought to be. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. So it's the scriptures that we look to to define our definition of love. So what is love and what do the scriptures say about it? And this is just a few verses. Today we're going to cover a lot of verses. Um, and so just stick with me, please. So Romans chapter 5 verse 8, it says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God defining or demonstrating or showing or expressing his love to you and to me is while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait till we had our lives together. God didn't wait until we were perfect. But it was in those moments of when we are still sinning, God came and expressed his love for us and Jesus taking the place on the cross, taking the wrath of God, our punishment, so that we may have life. He took us who were once dead in our transgressions and sins and made us alive in Christ. He made us new creations. He redeemed us. He forgave us. He chose us. So what is love? It's Christ in what he did in his life, death, and resurrection. And then 1 John 5, 2 talks about how do we love each other or children of God. And I think you could also say, in addition to the children of God, how can we love everyone, right? How can we love all people? This is how we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his what? Commandments. And then how, okay, so that's how you love each other. And how do we love God? And this is what it says in 1 John 5, 3. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his what? Commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So how can you and I love God and how can you and I love people? by following God's commandments. So the question becomes, how closely are we following God's commandments with our neighbor and with ourselves and towards God? How faithfully are we following the scriptures? Because it's very important for us as Christians to understand in our lives, and I think we overcomplicate things, right? What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? How am I supposed to live? And our whole lives, life and godliness is all wrapped around and surrounded by and within the scriptures, We're not supposed to do anything more than what the scriptures call us to. And God called out the Pharisees for doing so, for laying on yokes on people that they themselves couldn't bear. And then on the other side of that, we're not supposed to do anything less than what the scriptures have. So the scriptures, right, are our guardrails and they keep us in paths. So all throughout our culture, and it won't take about an hour once you leave here, culture is trying to redefine things, right? And us as Christians, we ought to look at the scriptures and say, God, how are we supposed to define what love is? So now, to narrow our focus in one way that God has clear, clearly called us to love one another, and that is this, to pray for one another. So I'm going to be talking about, very specifically, God's call on our lives to pray for one another. I won't be exhausting the topic of prayer, nor will I be covering all the um, little details of prayer or answering all your questions on prayer, but I will be urging you through the use of a lot of scripture to seek a deeper commitment to pray for others. So let's go ahead and jump in. I am uh, very confident that I am where I am today and I am who I am today because of God's grace and kindness in my life by answering the prayers of those who have prayed for me. I know when I was younger and I didn't have a great upbringing and there was abuse and I was taken from my parents and it was complicated uh, and difficult and messy. And I knew throughout that whole time, my grandma was praying for me. Not only that I would be okay, not only that I would recover from the difficulties that were before me and that were going to be before me throughout my life, but I knew that she was praying for me. And I knew that she wanted me to come to know Christ because she would pray for me. Because when I got older, she told me, God is answering prayers. And in high school, when I came to know the Lord, it was because God's kindness and graciousness and answering her prayers um, that led me to come to know Christ. Someone else uh, that always prays for me uh, is Sarah's mom, Denise. 
Uh, what's wonderful about this is I know that without a doubt, in this world, there's at least one person. I know there's many, like, of course, Sarah. But I know that without a doubt that she is praying for me. I don't, and it doesn't matter if I don't talk to her for a month. I'm sorry. You know, it doesn't matter how I am or what I act like or what I do. I know without a doubt that she's praying for me. And there's something about when you know that someone's praying for you that causes you to sort of be courageous. I can face that thing because I know that people under me are holding me up. And also, what I love about this church is that we have prayer warriors at church who continually pray for us and lift us up and are committed to prayer and committed to interceding on your behalf. It's like that story in the Old Testament where the Israelites were at battle. And whenever I think it was Moses, or someone can correct me later, had their hands up, they would win the battle. And when their hands came down, they would start losing the battle. And the same thing, intercessory prayer is the same thing. We're all supposed to gather around each other and hold each other up. And for me, who's a little younger, I enjoy nothing more than hearing those who are older in the faith pray for me and pray for others. There's just something about people praying for you and taking that time. And so let's go ahead and jump into what do the scriptures say about praying for one another? And I'm just going to read this for. I'm not going to try to expand on them. Otherwise, we'll be here forever. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Colossians 1.9, it says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have what? Not stop praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and do what? Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And Colossians 4.12, it says, I don't know if I'm saying the name right, but Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I think if I were to be remembered in any way, wouldn't it be so sweet if we were remembered by somebody who wrestled in prayer for others? And this guy, will never know him in this world. And in the next life, we will. And he's known. And I don't know what else is said about him in the scriptures. But at the very least, what we know about him is he wrestled in prayer for you. And that denotes a few things. Prayer is difficult. Prayer takes consistency. And prayer is extremely important. And so this is, I think, enough to wrap up our sermon. But nonetheless, we'll continue on in remembering and understanding how do we love God? by obeying his commands. How do we love people? By obeying God's commands. And part of God's commands for all of us, the community of believers, is to pray for each other and pray for one another. So the question is, who do we pray for? And much like our question, who is our neighbor? The answer is everyone. Nice job. And yet, specifically, the scripture identifies a few people that we ought to pray for continually, right? Pray for those people. And this is what it says. And we have about six of them. We're just going to run through them really quick. Pray for those who persecute you. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Matthew 5.44. I heard this quote recently that I really liked. And it said the difference between gossip 
and prayer is this. Gossip, when you gossip about somebody behind their back, it causes your heart to become more hard and your hatred or dislike or uh, your despise for them actually increases. But when you pray for someone, your heart softens and you start to love them more or start to eventually like them. And so we're supposed to pray for those who persecute us, those who wrong us, that frustrating coworker, the difficult neighbor, all these people, we're supposed to pray for them. And then you got to ask, why should we pray for them? And I think it just gives us a glimpse of our relationship with God. If there's someone in your life who is wronging you or persecuting you or is an enemy— and they're doing these bad things on you, and God calls you to pray for them or to love them by praying for them, it sort of gives you a glimpse of God loving us when we were unfaithful to him. And you just get a tiny little glimpse of God's great love for us when we love people who are difficult to love. The second thing is we're called to pray for the sick. Uh, James 5 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And I think it's no surprise that it seems like our church is in sort of a season of difficulty. There are many people who are sick or who are struggling or have a lot of things going on or a great sadness. And it's our job as the church to gather around one another and hold each other up in prayer, right? If anyone is sick, pray for them. But then it says, call on the elders of the church to pray. And we have a great opportunity that we are able to do so. Every Sunday morning after service, we have people up here that can pray for us. If anything's going on in your life, the elders would love and to come pray for you. And also we can pray for one another, that the Lord will make us well if it's his will. And the third thing is yourself. You desire, or James chapter 4 says this, you desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And I think one of the biggest questions around prayer is, Uh, why should I pray to God if he already knows everything that I need or if he knows everything that I'm going to ask for? And I think the answer is sort of similar. Do you remember when the Israelites were out in the wilderness and God provided food for them and he said, okay, go and grab food, but you can only grab as much as you can get for your household. So a very specific amount, this is all you can grab. And so some people grabbed that amount and they took it back. And others, uh, they were like, well, we don't know if we're going to get food tomorrow. So let me just go and grab like double or triple. And every day at the end of the day or in the morning, it would all be um, nasty or spoiled or whatever. And the simple idea is God has given us commandments to follow. And part of that commandment is to pray. And so we don't understand all that's going on in that, and we don't get it. And I don't think that we'll necessarily get it. But yet God is still calling us to pray, to seek him. What are the things that you need in your life? They won't come about if we're not praying, if we're not seeking him, if we're not humbly coming before him with our needs and our wants and our desires. Are your kids struggling? Are your grandkids struggling? Is life difficult at work? Are your studies overwhelming? Are you dealing with some mental anxiety? What are those things? Pray and seek the Lord, that he will have grace and mercy and compassion on you and grant you that request if it is according to his will. The next thing we're supposed to pray for those who shepherd our souls, and I'll go a little bit faster here. Philippians 1 says, this is Paul when he was in jail. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So those who shepherd our souls, pastors, elders, Bible study leaders, were called to uphold them before God and pray for them. 
We're supposed to pray for our friends, 3 John 1, 2. This is uh, John talking to his friend Gaius. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Next thing, we're supposed to pray for our fellow countrymen. This is what it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, uh, prayer to God, and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So those around us, the lost, the unsaved, we're supposed to be praying for them, that God would save them, God would gift them faith, that they would come to know him. I know in my list of daily prayers, I have a few people on my list that don't yet know Christ, and I pray for them every day. And I've been praying for them for years. And I hope that the Lord one day will answer my prayer and grant them faith. But if there are loved ones and people around you that don't yet know Christ, God is calling us, commanding us, urging us, and through the example of Paul here, to pray that the Lord will answer our prayers in his grace and kindness and timing, and he will save them. And the last thing, and we all know already, we're supposed to pray for everyone. All people, all the time, everywhere, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for who? All people. And then he identifies a few people. So it's everyone. It's all of us. It's our neighbors. It's each other. It's our cousins. It's our family that we don't like. It's everyone, right? It's all these people. But then he identifies for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So those who are in authority, our president, those in government, world leaders, we're supposed to pray for them that all may go well with their souls. So pray for everyone. Now let's quickly or briefly talk about how we can pray for one another. What I love about the scriptures, or I guess I would say is I'm a pretty simple guy. I'm not super complex. I do my best when I'm sort of given um, a framework and how I'm supposed to operate. Like when I was hired uh, here, they have, we have an employee handbook. And I don't know, I might be the only employee that read through the whole thing and highlighted it. Like I highlight, yeah, yeah, I'm probably the only one. Melissa's confirming it. And then we got a new one about a year ago. And then I highlighted and underlined stuff and put question marks. Like I got to ask about that. Because I'm just someone who operates well within lines. Like if you give me lines, like I can operate in that. But if I don't have lines, I'm, I'm not really sure if I'm doing well or not. And what I love about the scriptures is we don't need to reinvent the wheel when it comes to praying for one another. You could take most scriptures in the Bible and pray them over your family, over your um, jobs, over your city. One quick example is Psalm 1. And that's a pretty familiar psalm for those who have been around the church for a long time. And a simple way that you could pray that is, Lord, help us to not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. Forgive us for choosing to do those things over loving you. But instead, Lord, help us to delight in your word. And not just do it begrudgingly, but have a desire for it. Because we know your promises are sure that if we delight in your word and we live your word, right, we will be like trees planted by streams of water. They bear fruit in season. So Lord, whenever my season is, I want to bear that fruit. I want my family to bear that fruit. I want our city to desire your scriptures. I want our church to desire your scriptures. So you could take most chapters of the Bible, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, you could pray that over your family or your city or the church. You can take most of the scriptures, most of the Psalms, and you can just read through those and turn those into prayers for the Lord. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. One thing I don't advise, though, is um, 
now I'm forgetting on the word, but like Matthew 2, where it has like Abraham is the father of whatever. And what, don't pray those over your family. I don't know how you'll do that, but good luck. If you find a way, just let me know. But most scripture we can take and pray over those around us. So I just identified really quickly Ephesians chapter 3, and it says this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so when we come before God, the first thing to understand is go to God in humility and praise. Kneel before the Father, and also understand for those who are in the body of believers that we have promises from God in our lives that are true. Because God can do anything except what? Lie or deny his character. He is who he is, and he told us who he is in the scriptures. And so he has promises for us. And and when we go to him in prayer in Hebrews, it says, come boldly before the throne of grace. It's not a throne of judgment. It's not a throne of denial. We have access to the Father, and we can kneel before him humbly and pray and seek him. And the first prayer here in Ephesians 3, it says, pray that God will strengthen us with power through his spirit. Or another way to say that is, Lord, help these people to walk in step with the spirit. And there are usually two parts of our lives, right? We have the things that we normally do, like we work and we wake up and we get ready and we drive to work and we have all these to-do lists, our honey-do lists. Uh, And then we also have our spiritual life. Oh, I have to read the scriptures. I got to pray. I got to come to church. And oftentimes we see those two things as separate. But the scripture sees those two things as one, right? In all aspects of our lives, may the Lord grant us power to do the things that we ought to do in raising our kids and loving our neighbors and helping the poor and blessing our studies and blessing us in our retirement season and all of these things. It's the spiritual and the physical and they're both together. And what Paul is saying here, Lord, grant them power and strength to do the things that God, you have called them to do. And that's a simple prayer we can pray for one another. Second thing is that we grow in the knowledge of Christ's love. And Ephesians 3, it says uh, that they may grasp how wide and high and deep is the love of Christ. And one wonderful prayer for each other is that we would grasp or understand a little bit better or more God's great love for us. There's no more better story than God's love for his people, that he redeemed us, that he chose us, that although we were rebellious and sinful, yet he came and sought us. And not only did he seek us, but he found us. Then he gifted us faith that we may follow him. And when he sees us, he no longer sees us as a sinner, but he sees us as God's righteousness right before him. One thing that I try to do every day, and I don't always do it, and I wish that I did, is I always try to preach the gospel to myself because I always need to be reminded of God's great love for us. And one prayer we could pray is that we would grow in our knowledge of Christ's love for us, how wide and deep and long and wonderful. And then the third thing that Paul has here in um, Ephesians 3 is that we may know God's great love for us and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. We all know there's a difference between knowing someone and like knowing someone. Like, how many of you guys know the name of your mailman? Some of you? Okay, okay. So some of us know our mailman. 
but all of us know our family, right? We know our kids. There's a difference between knowing and knowing. And in this prayer, Paul is saying that they will know intimately relationship-wise God's great love for them, that they would have a relationship with Jesus, that they would know God. And that is the call of the scriptures. So these are three easy, quick ways that we can pray for each other. And now let's close off with this next verse in Ephesians 3, and then we'll continue with worship. It says this in Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him, God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is now at work within us, to God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your scriptures and the guardrails and the roadmap and the lamp and the light that you have given us to follow. Lord, help us um, to pray for one another. Help us to identify people that we should pray for in our lives. Help us to have a deeper commitment of praying for one another. And also, Lord, we thank you for those who have been praying for us that we don't know about and maybe we'll never know about. May you bless them. May you bless our lives, Lord, as we seek you. There are many things that we can pray for, and sometimes it doesn't always feel like we have the time. Lord, may we make time even when we don't feel like it. So we can seek your face, Lord. And we know that when we seek you, you are not hiding. And we thank you for your promises in scripture, that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and your ear is attentive to our cry. We thank you for those promises that we can hold to and claim. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen.